0: every team, every topic, everywhere this is believe. Episode 219 for the love of the game on the Blue Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines and matchup reports for baseball, golf, boxing, tennis we've got NFL futures coming up we have college football futures coming up you can find all of it at bet online so head to the website or use your mobile device sign up today and get in on the action remember to use promo code believe to get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit again b-l-e-a-v to get 50 percent on your first deposit bet online where the game starts with that said episode 219 for the love of the game let's get this work Yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. I make your mouthpiece obese like Delores. When I release, you lose teeth like Little C's. Please, blood flood your dungarees, and that's just the half of my war path. Laugh now, cry later, around greater than the average player hater. The spectators buy my CD twice, uh-huh. they see me in the streets, they be like yo. Aaron Tobin has, we are back in the saddle. We are back behind the mic on a Monday evening, August 7th, and this may set the record for shortest monologue I've ever had. The Yankees stink. Carlos Rodon is hurt again. They should be playing out the string, but they're not. Anthony Rizzo, turns out he had a concussion and no one knew about it. That's an absolute disaster. I, I can't even begin to talk about how inept they are. The Mets, they're playing out the string after training everybody. Not a whole heck of a lot to talk about. We haven't gotten to football yet. We're going to be talking about fantasy football hopefully next episode. So, yeah. Not a whole heck of a lot going on in the sports calendar right now. We do have a special first-time guest coming on to talk a little bit about college football. There's been a lot of conference realignment. We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about the NIL. Is that a bit of a factor in all this realignment? We're going to talk to him in a second. But one quick thing of note before we get to him, and again, very quick monologue. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. Signed a three year extension with the Los Angeles Lakers, keeping him in Lakerland through his age 34 season. His extension is going to be three years, about $186 million, just north of $57 million for 2024, no, excuse me, 25, 26. North of $62 million in 26-27, million. It is the richest extension in NBA history. I think given where the Lakers are, it's no surprise that they did it. I think LeBron James, if you don't do this extension, because again, I know what the talent is with Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is as unreliable as A star player as there is in basketball. He's fragile. He's always hurt. He is a second banana at best. Maybe one of the best second bananas in the history of the league. But a second banana nonetheless. And you're paying him first banana type money. That's generally a no-no in sports. But given where the Lakers are. If you don't do it. LeBron. Who's entering the last year of his deal. Can walk. The Lakers had to do it, but this is a bad contract. Like, I cannot wait for LeBron to retire and then the Lakers be led by Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves. And all of a sudden, they're a 35-win team again. Anthony Davis is not that guy. I've said that on the record multiple, multiple times. It is what it is. But what I love about this deal, and again, talking to some of the Laker fans in my life, like, this is the way you show star players, the Lakers will get the next star, you know, and on we go. They conveniently forget that from 2014 to 2018, what the Lakers looked like. Kobe Bryant was phasing out, and the Lakers tried to get a meeting with Kevin Durant, They did not. They pitched LaMarcus Aldridge. They couldn't close him. Kawhi Leonard, even after LeBron signed, didn't want to come. So the Lakers basically changed the trend because LeBron James decided he wanted to live in Los Angeles. And let's just say the Clippers are not the Lakers. That's the reason why LeBron ended up a Laker. Not because the Lakers were particularly competent. Not because the Lakers did anything to make themselves more appealing. That was just the reality of the situation. He wanted to live in Los Angeles, and the Clippers were still not very functional when he was having his free agency meeting. LeBron James, make no mistake about it, is still propping up this Laker organization top to bottom. He is. As much as I can't stand the guy, he's keeping this thing afloat. I know that Rob Polinka did a really good job pivoting last year's trade deadline, getting good players in there, empowering Austin Reeves. They had a great finish to the season. They're going to be dangerous next season. But make no mistake about it. If LeBron James is a shell of himself, which after year 20... It's hard to say that he'll be a shell of himself, but again, entering year 21, would you be shocked? I'd be, I'd be very surprised, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. LeBron's propping up that organization, and the minute LeBron James starts to come back down to earth that whole organization starts to come back down to earth. And you're going to see, Laker fans, you're going to see how brutal it is, and you're going to be reminded about how brutal it was from 2014 to 2018, and even 2019, LeBron's first year. This is the cost of doing business with LeBron James, when you trade a lot of future picks and young players to get established guys. Now again, for the most part, Especially last year, they've done a good job in terms of putting pieces around LeBron. But this is LeBron's show, and it will always be LeBron's show. And Anthony Davis, for all the people who are clamoring him for him to take the mantle of the franchise, if he takes the mantle, that's not a good thing. Because that guy is never going to be responsible for a team That makes it past the first round of the playoffs. It's just what it is. So I understand the extension. I understand why they had to do the extension. I probably would hold my nose if I was the Lakers. But again, LeBron has them over a barrel. It is what it is. But yeah, when LeBron retires, it's not going to be so pretty. Anyway, with that said, we're going to bring on a first-time guest to talk a little bit about college sports, some NIL, some conference realignment. We're going to talk about the Knicks a little bit. At the end of the segment, we we'll get to him in just a matter of moments. So I teased it in the monologue, the brief monologue I had this week. Uh, we have a first-time guest, a very special first-time guest, somebody who's a listener of the show, requested to come on. So obviously, we love to talk to listeners. Uh, Mr. Logan Bartlett. Logan, how's it going, bud? How you doing?
1: Hey, man, how are you? Thanks for having me on. This is
0: great. So you're a big college football guy. And you're currently in Knoxville, Tennessee. And let's just say there's been some interesting interesting developments in the world of college football, specifically given the crazy amount of realignment that's taking place with the conferences. I mean, this past couple of days, we had Oregon and Washington joining the Big Ten. USC and UCLA have already migrated. This basically renders the Pac-12 essentially useless and inept. Texas is making its way to the SEC eventually to your conference that you root for uh, in Tennessee Volunteers. So what are your thoughts about all this? Where does this end?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, would it be helpful to sort of lay out where this started and kind of go through how we've, how we've gotten here? Would that be like an interesting thing to go through? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I sort of view the modern uh, conference realignment started in 2012. And that was when Texas A&M and Missouri joined uh, the SEC from the Big 12. And that was the beginning of it. All this stuff at the end of the day is centered around money, right? That's all. And we're going to talk about NIL later and all, everything, cash rules, everything around NCAA sports, even if they don't want to admit it. And so Texas A&M and Missouri joined the SEC from the Big 12. That set off a bunch of different dominoes. Pittsburgh and Syracuse joined the ACC for, uh, from the Big East, right? Maryland and Rutgers joined the Big Ten. West Virginia joined the Big East, TCU joined the Mountain West. There was a few other changes along the way, but it was mostly status quo from 2012-2013 on through uh, July-ish of 2021. At that point, Texas and Oklahoma announced their intention of leaving the Big 12 and joining the SEC. That was gonna, that's actually going to take place next year. Uh, the Big 12, in response, they added BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, uh, and then... Most famously, I guess, or embarrassingly, ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 formed an alliance in 2021, basically saying they weren't going to poach each other's members. Now, that was a bunch of the big dominoes. What happened last summer was USC and UCLA announced that they were going to the Pac-12. I think at that point, writing was on the wall that basically the Pac-12 was going to no longer exist.
0: You mean the Big Big Ten? They're leaving the Pac-12.
1: Uh, joining the Big Ten. Sorry, leaving yeah. the Pac- Pac-12. Yeah, that's right. So the Pac-12 was basically, uh, if you look back a decade ago, they were riding high. And it's been misstep after misstep over the course of the last 10 years. The big mistake they made was they launched their own network called the Pac-12 Network, which is an absolute disaster. Uh, and instead of partnering with anyone like ESPN and Fox to build out the network, they actually went, in, uh, went ahead on their own. And that proved to be just a terrible revenue move for them. USC... Uh, was shitty through that whole period of time. Oregon and Stanford were pretty mediocre. UCLA was irrelevant. Uh, The president of the Pac-12 was forced out in 2021. And so at that point, the revenue schools, uh, especially the football schools, in particular USC, but UCLA has some interesting dynamics as well. They're actually under a pretty big debt load. And so they needed to go find revenue. They picked their head up and they had been looking around for the past decade uh, and actually made the move that they were going to go to the Big Ten last summer. Now, The Pac-12 was totally wounded at that point. And now this was an inevitability in my mind that some people were gonna move out. uh, And I think that the writing was on the wall from last summer on. Instead of fortifying the league and bringing in new members, which they certainly could have done last summer, they decided to stand pat and wait to see what was gonna happen. And ultimately they made a push a couple weeks ago to try to get a new revenue deal. I think it was with Apple. Uh, and they were going to offer some subscription gains based on how many subscribers they were able to drive to Apple. And at that point, I think Oregon and Washington said, "You know what? There's 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 greener pastures elsewhere." And so they picked their head up. Um, we could talk about oh, where no, this I headed. I want
0: to ask you one quick thing. One quick thing before you continue. That network deal, the Pac-12 network, and it fell apart. Is that because USC and Oregon? who were basically the two premier programs for the for a while they basically had down years and no one was interested
1: Basically, I think, I think that's the simple version of it. Is I would also say that uh, there were not as many ravenous fans uh, in, in the Pac-12 as there are in the SEC or the Big Ten. And even the SEC partners with ESPN for the SEC network, right? Uh, the Pac-12 tried to do this on their own. And so you have a mediocre play on the field. You have a smaller fan base, and you're and trying to do it zone. on your the own. The
0: time zone's tough for a lot time of the country. Tough.
1: The time zone tough. There's an East Coast bias for sure. So I, I think all of that kind of led to the failure there. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, so where so- does this
1: go? So to answer your actual question, instead of giving a history lesson here, uh, where does this end up? I think we're moving in a direction where the conferences actually leave. Uh, association with the NCAA, at least for football. You've seen it already. The college football playoff actually isn't run by the NCAA at all. It's independent of of it, uh, run by the Power Five conferences themselves. I think ultimately the NCAA, and as we talk about name, image, and likeness, all of this stuff that they're trying to do will drive at least the major conferences in their revenue generating sports, so basketball and football, away from the the, uh, government. Of the NCAA. So I think that's the end state. I think we're going to move to some semi pro form of football and basketball that uh, the SEC plays in, the Big Ten plays in, the Big 12 plays in. We'll see what happens with the ACC. But I think at least those first couple are going to play in some semi pro version of, of the co- revenue generating sports.
0: Okay, but what what does that look like in terms of, you know, just being student athletes, right? Like there's still. The, the rule that, you know, players can't enter the NFL draft for three years. Uh, they got to play in college for three years or at least be out of high school for three years, depending on red shirting, whatever. If the NCAA is not going to be involved and the conferences are going to supersede it, like, where, what does that governing body look like?
1: Yeah, well... Actually, uh, and, and someone will definitely correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm 99% sure that the uh, the rules as it pertains uh, to uh, amateurism and entering leagues are governed by the leagues themselves, and so that's an right, NFL, yes. that's an NFL and and uh, and NBA rule that they've put in place, and so ultimately, no, like that- I,
0: I was just asking because it makes it, but there's still a distinction between pros. And amateurs, even if amateurs are able to earn based on their name, image, and likeness, as we're going to talk about a little bit, but there's still a distinction.
1: There, there's a distinction insofar as you're not employees and you cannot collectively bargain in a unionized way like you can in the NFL or the NBA. So there is that distinction. I think that distinction over the course of the next 10 years is going to go away. And you will, all of these athletes, at least for basketball and football, are going to become employees in some form of the universities that they are at And they will get some percentage of the revenue dollars coming through the media rights deals. And they will be able to collectively bargain as uh, employees of some university and affiliated with some entity that's outside of the NCAA. I think that's the end state of all this stuff. Now, I don't know. I don't think that's two two years away. That's going to require probably some federal laws. And I don't think that's two years away. I think that's 10 years away. But I think that's the train that we're on. And that's where it's headed.
0: Well, there's a whole issue if that's going to be the case of other things like Title IX, right, where it, it's it's almost like, and again, I, I guess I don't want to, you know, spoil our, our you know, later segment, but it, it's kind of like, I feel like there's a lot of just legality issues that is going to make that very difficult.
1: 100%. That. 100%. Basketball, and it's and gonna-
0: basketball right.
1: So so the way, and we're going to dive right into this, I guess, now, but the way name, image, and likeness came to be was there was, so for people that don't know, it's abbreviated NIL. I've spent way too much time looking and studying at all this stuff. But basically, there was a bunch of pressure from state legislatures. In 2019, California passed a Fair Pay-to-Play Act, and that was like the beginning of the crack on all of this stuff. Now, there was a case that went before the Supreme Court called the Alston case, is what it gets referred to as. But basically. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that essentially you cannot inhibit uh, uh, players in NCAA's ability to monetize their name, image, and likeness outside of the the uh, entity uh, through the school. And so you're able to sign up marketing deals and monetize that. So it was a pretty sweeping decision. Obviously, it was unanimous. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh wrote um, a concurring opinion on it. I think, weirdly, uh, he didn't write the actual uh, whatever, whatever the main uh, brief is called for the Supreme Court, but he wrote a pretty scathing opinion, basically telling the NCAA, tread lightly here, Uh, We're going to reconsider everything that you do and how your business model and amateurism works. And so with that ruling, the NCAA uh, changed their rules to open up the opportunity for uh, monetizing name, image, and likeness, which this was in the summer of 2021, which has also, again, money driving all this stuff. It's turned the, the college sports world upside down with all the stuff that's going on here. Uh, and that's the other thing. That's what's also at play on this uh, path to no longer being amateurs. And right now, we're talking about small dollars. Like, we're talking about people that are uh, going to the local car dealership and doing uh, meet and greets, and you're having boosters legally pay players out of pocket uh, for whatever, some small deals that probably have some pay to play element to them, but are also marketing deals, quote unquote. These dollars are very small compared to the universities like Ohio State and Texas and Tennessee and Alabama that are generating $200 million a year in revenue through uh, all the, the stuff related to the sports. And I would guess football is three quarters of that. And so those are much bigger dollars than what we're talking about for the individual athletes. And that's the big pie that the athletes are gonna want access to over time
0: one quick thing before we dive further into nil but just going back to the conference alignment for a second so notre dame obviously is now in the sec when it comes to basketball but football they've always been independent right they've all they've resisted temptation to be bound by a conference they can schedule whoever they want completely independent does notre dame kind of look better now than ever before considering, you know, these other schools are so beholden to the conferences that they're able to just stay above it, schedule who they want to schedule and be done with. Yeah. Yes. I
1: think hundred percent. I think Notre Dame is a winner of all of this chaos. I thought maybe, uh, I don't know, a year ago when USC and UCLA moved over to the big, uh, big 10, I thought Notre Dame was probably their hand was going to be forced to go to do the same because you might end up in a place where just the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 get together and they're going to crown their champions. And that's going to be the effective national champion going forward. And Notre Dame was going to be left out of that situation. Now I think they have the direct media rights deals. Now I think all the conference shuffling is going on at such a level that Notre Dame kind of looks, looks smart standing pat. Now we'll see if that proves out over the course of the next five years, but at least right now, after all this chaos has ensued, it's been crazy. Uh, it's been crazy, and I think they look good for it. The one thing in the conference realignment that uh, I, I don't want to gloss over, I think it's a really important point, is all of this stuff is being driven by football, and to a very, 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 very lesser extent, basketball. But this has real right. implications for volleyball and track and baseball and whatever else, what other other sports these schools offer, now you're having people that, if you were at USC and you were on the volleyball team, you used to just have to play people, mostly in California, a little bit in Oregon, Washington, Arizona, all that. Now you're having to fly uh, cross-country for an in-conference game against Rutgers, right? It's actually... All of this stuff is being driven by football, and it's really not fair to the rest of the athletes that they're now going to have to on a, It's fine, football does it 12 times a year, six will be at home, six will be on the road, who really cares? But the the women's track team or the the men's tennis team that's gonna need to fly out on a Wednesday to go play tennis in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey, or go to Maryland to play a uh, volleyball game. It's really detrimental to those other sports that didn't ask for this, aren't monetizing from it. And that's what's kind of being lost in all of this.
0: Well, you would assume, again, if the schools and the universities become somewhat of the employers that you've mentioned before, that they're going to have to get some type of some type of compensation
1: that's right um, that's right I, I i i think that it's not going to be the total uh athletic entity that uh that moves to a employer model i really think it's only going to be basketball and football that heads in that direction if you look at the p l of any of these programs football generates 80% profit margins. Basketball generates 15% profit margins. Nothing else is even in the black. Right. There's a few programs. Baseball generates money. A few programs, women's basketball generate money, but everything else is money are, are money losers. And that's great. I mean, that's the point of amateur sports, right? It's not a business. It doesn't need to be a business. The university should be funding these things. They fund a lot of other things in academia that don't generate money. And so I think that's totally fine and good, but it, it's a totally different game than what you're playing in football and basketball. And I think that needs to be recognized.
0: Does the NIL and the wild, wild West nature that it is, has that affected any of these universities in terms of this conference realignment or is it strictly just media based deals that that's,
1: That's a good question. Uh, No, I think it's mostly media-based deals. At the end of the day, I I think the media deals over in the fullness of time will also translate to the dollars that the players get. Uh, And so at some point in the future, those two things, athletes' ability to monetize and the pursuit of dollars on media contracts will be directly aligned. Right now, they're kind of tangentially aligned. Hey, you're you're in a bigger conference, so you get access to uh, more television opportunities so therefore more marketing opportunities. The funny thing about name, image, and likeness is the original intent of it was marketing and the ability for athletes to monetize things like social posts or local promotions and all of that. I alluded to this earlier, but effectively what it's become, who's to say what the value is of an offensive tackle, a left tackle five star who uh, has potential All-American capabilities and you have a booster, Miami's been in the news quite a bit for this, Uh, John Ruiz down there, will come in and say, well, I actually think that athlete, that left tackle, if he does a a signage for me, I I think that's worth a million dollars if he does five autograph signatures for me. And who's to say that it's not worth it, right? That's fair market. Is hey, if he's right. willing to pay it, then that athlete is is uh, able to get it. Now, is he actually getting it because of his signature, or is he getting it because uh, he happens to be very good on the field on on Saturdays? I would we say. We both know. End- it's,
0: hold on, hold on. We both know it's the latter. It's right? the latter, we but just, you're who's just to dress say? It up with whatever legal window dressing they need to do it.
1: 100%. Who's to say who how can you actually improve uh, how can you actually prove it? And the NCAA is against pay to play, which is what that is, as well as inducement, which is offering financial benefits to get athletes to come to your school specifically. Those two things are illegal by NCAA uh, bylaw. Now, those are both happening in spades, right? And there are kids at different programs that are being solicited by boosters to come transfer and they're being offered Hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to do so. And so all of that stuff is going on. And you're right, Wild Wild West is definitely the right terminology for it.
0: So let me ask you this. Obviously, given what kind of media deals that these schools are able to negotiate because of football and basketball, um, that, and you know, jersey sales and all this kind of stuff that kids should be compensated for that if they're going to generate such a tremendous amount of revenue for the schools. However, I I feel like the, again, and I'm not an expert, but I feel like the current way it's set up, the NIL and and the rules or the lack thereof, is not necessarily good. So the underlying concept is good, but the current practice isn't good. What say you? Uh, I think these are mostly underprivileged
1: athletes who have generated large amounts of money for universities profit over the course of the last 50 years and that there is that they deserve the opportunity to monetize the work that they're doing as they're generating that amount of revenue for these schools for the local uh, cities and all of that stuff now are the i think it's a band-aid on a bullet hole uh, in trying to fix the monetization uh, path by saying, "Hey, let's give them a little bit of marketing deals and let's give them uh, let's give them some you know booster money that's flowing through the system to get to them. I think that's really. Uh, covering the big problem, which is that the university's uh, cost structure and how they fund all of their other athletic uh, endeavors is funded by a handful of athletes. And if you move to a revenue share model, and we touched on the Title IX element of this, but if you move to revenue share model with uh, football and basketball as the revenue generating sports, then the entire cost model of athletic departments start to topple over. And that brings on a whole bunch of Title IX implications. Uh, and so I, I I agree with you in the sense that this is messy and it's imperfect. I I disagree if you're saying that it's not a net positive from where we were.
0: Oh, no, I think it's a net positive. I just... The current system is the current system so flawed that even though the underlying message or um, not message, but the underlying goal is a good one, that it's just caused such a headache that it's kind of just it just needs to be completely overworked.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And there's a lot of people, if you talk to within athletic departments that will say, hey, this needs to come in house that right now there's these things called collectives that sit outside of the university and they will solicit money and they will set up the marketing deals for the athletes. And if you talk to a lot of people in athletic departments, they will say, hey, most of those dollars are coming from uh, boosters and not from Uh, small businesses. And those boosters are now splitting their dollars between giving to an athletic department and giving to these collectives. And it's just too chaotic to have it in its current construct. And so therefore, it should move in-house so that we can manage uh, the payments and the donor relationships and the marketing relationships and all of that stuff. Now, that... uh, that has its whole, a whole other can of worms associated with, with bringing that stuff in house. But if you talk to some uh, administrators, they will say that, uh, that that's the path that they want it to go on and they think it's gonna end up there sooner rather than later. It'll still be messy and there will be even more Title IX implications when you're paying the left tackle on the football team 500 grand and you're giving nothing to the women's gymnastic person, that's not Libby Dunn, right? Like that that, that was stuff will be a Now to bring
0: right. her up in an example.
1: Yeah, so the Libby Dunn thing's interesting. Everyone talks about it being name, image, and likeness. And I agree in a sense that she is an athlete and she is monetizing, but she's an influencer, right? Uh, in in a normal sense. And she also happens to do gymnastics as well. And so I think it's great in her case. I don't think she's necessarily monetizing like her the fact that she's an LSU gymnast so much as- No, she's as,
0: monetizing because she's gorgeous. Yeah. And she- happens to do gymnastics for LSU. But well, my question was going to be is if you look at, her, cause she's obviously an anomaly when it comes to uh, women's college athletics. Right. So, and you also just brought up that the administrators wanted to be under their roof, but the whole point of, I guess, free market is that it shouldn't be dec- decided by the administrators. So if, College athletes were kind of like Olympic athletes, right? Where they just went out and sought their own deals. Like, is that the best way forward in your opinion?
1: I actually don't know. So so uh, how does the Olympic model work? I, I actually don't know well, how it works. Really. I,
0: from what I understand, again, it, I may be wrong, but from what I understand is that they're just like independent individuals who – you know, get approached by Wheaties or get approached by Nike or get approached by whatever brand it is. And they negotiate it for themselves.
1: Yeah, the problem, and this is like the rub in NCAA uh, major sports is, if you look on the dollars, like what percentage of these dollars are true marketing uh, arrangements versus what percentage of them are booster donations effectively to get the player to come to your school or stay at your school, or uh, for their performance at the school? And so um, the answer is both, uh, that there's definitely elements of both. Right now, outside of the university, you have the collective set up to effectively act as the intermediary so there aren't uh, tons of small businesses and tons of boosters trying to coordinate individual donations to these players, right? And so it's almost like an agency model where they're the centralized throat to choke, for these dollars coming in. And so in that way, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and you, you just, I'm sure these Olympic athletes have external representation as well. The one yeah. thing is where the, the dollars are not purely for marketing purposes in this regard. And I don't know how long eventually boosters can only pay for players for so long. I think uh, at the levels that we're talking about, I mean, some kids are making million dollar And so that eventually will, will wear out. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the university managing all this stuff seems like an absolute nightmare. You're going to need a full salary cap and trying to figure out like what players are worth what in coordination with the coaching staff and all that stuff. It just seems like it's going to open up a whole bunch of legality things, particularly related to Title IX as well.
0: I can't even imagine you would want a, um, a school administrator to be able to do this, considering as, you know, my guy Ryan Rossillo has said multiple times that these schools are so reckless with how they spend money that they're constantly crying poor and which is why they're leaving for the next big media rights deal because they're, they're running a deficit. A hundred
1: percent. I, I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the deals that they put out there are so, uh, are, are, are wild in some regards, but they also in others, I mean, it's amazing how much, uh, how much revenue success in major college sports can generate for the university. And so when you look at some of these coaching contracts, you could say like, this is absolutely absurd. How does a coach make $10 million a year and you pay them out for five years and the buyout Jimbo Fisher is a perfect example. I think his buyout right now at Texas a and is like $90 million and they can't figure out how to get rid of him. Right. The flip side of that is, uh, I, I, they released these numbers publicly, Tennessee this past year after going eleven and two was the revenue for the athletic department was up uh, from one hundred and fifty five million to two hundred and two million, and that was just in one year, so they grew. 30% added 47 million in revenue. And what is that worth? That's just in like pure ticket sales and merchandising and all that, let alone, I mean, I'm here now, what it did to the town. Uh, and so college right. applications, out-of-state applications to the University of Tennessee this past year were up 300%. It, uh, overall, applications were up 47%. And so like, what does that do to a school when you have success in a football program? It's pretty wild, the downstream implications. So I agree, I mean, I love Russillo, I would never, uh, speak bad on on his name but uh you can you can see how people talk themselves into these deals because of the impact it can have on the town and the uh, athletic departments as well
0: so you suggested earlier that the ncaa uh is almost going to be you know as you called it like toppled over in a sense where basically the conferences are going to um you know uh, police themselves almost right self-govern yeah now I don't think anybody who follows this at all thinks that Mark Emmert does a good job in his pro NCAA. Um, the NCAA needs to be overhauled. Are, are we really sure we want to put it in the conference's hands over here? Like, is that a good thing, too?
1: Well, thankfully, we got rid of Mark Emmert uh, a couple of months ago. So now right. it's Charlie Baker, That's the incredible. former governor of Massachusetts, which I wonder if he if he had any idea what he was stepping into with this hornet's nest. I mean, it it, it feels like an unwinnable uh, war right now across the board here. I I think ultimately the problem. uh, There's many problems at the core of the NCAA, but the biggest one is that it's you you sort of have the worst of everything. In that it it runs like a government entity uh, in their speed and how nimble they are with thinking about stuff. Their dollar. What's that?
0: I said not a positive. No, that
1: is not a compliment. That is not intended to be complimentary on them. Uh, they run like a government. They're, they have this preciousness associated with amateurism uh, and what that means. And that's one of their like bylaws and the foundational elements of what they think about. But then they generate money like a monopolistic for-profit entity. And so it's like you can't have all those things together. You, <laughs> you, you need to be nimble like a business. You need to probably get rid of the amateurism concept, at least as far as you've been holding it. Uh, and the for-profit nature and the monopoly you have, you need to recognize that that's the game on the field. And so holding all those things together just leads to a lot of hypocrisy. And so if 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 the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 uh, end up seceding succeed, and coming up with a new leadership and a new model that recognizes, at least for the Power Five uh, major, or not Power Five, but at least for the revenue-generating sports, recognizing that hey, like we can't continue to hold this hypocrisy of amateurism and we can't move as slow as we, we have under the NCAA. I think that's a net good thing for college sports, at least the basketball and football programs that we were talking about.
0: Does this affect the NCAA tournament and March Madness if the conferences sort of do it themselves?
1: You know, it's interesting Because we have to protect that at all costs. We do, yeah. Yeah, that is, that needs to stay. That 100% needs to stay. And we can't throw that out with all the chaos. I really think we would solve, I think 90% of the problems are related to football. Uh, 90% of the revenues are related to football. And I think uh, there's an accumulating benefit that's going into all the the football programs and how much they're investing into it and basically how semi-pro or even professional it's become. I would be totally fine if basketball stayed behind and funded all the other sports and that was that we, we kept the concept of amateurism and I think it, there's a better model for uh, semi-pro or at least the ability to monetize at 18 years old uh, in basketball which is the G League right and so I actually would be totally fine keeping the amateurism element of NCAA for basketball and then if you wanted to go pro you can go play in the G League um, I think that that could be another model. And then we get to keep our, our, our round of 64 and uh, March Madness every, uh, every March.
0: You mentioned um, before I, and before we kind of switch gears, you mentioned that the, the distinction between a marketing deal and basically kind of pay to play, right? Yep. And how it, it, I'm sure it gets mixed up and you can be able to dress it up in whatever legal way to make sure guys are still eligible to play whilst getting their, I guess, fair market value. So a company like Raising Canes, right? Which is very big in the South. uh, I I think it's Louisiana, right? Am I not correct? Right. So LSU has got a ton of boosters. Can the boosters just funnel money through Raising raising Canes and call it a marketing deal?
1: They don't even need to funnel through the, uh, so... They can give it directly to the collective. LSU has a collective that's acting as the agency for all the players. And so they don't even need to go through raising canes to do it. They can just give all the money directly to the collective, which will also manage raising canes, marketing rights, and all of that. But they will figure out the payments to the players as the, the boosters pay this collective entity that it sits outside of, uh, outside of the uh, university, Louisiana State University.
0: And it's the school that wants to basically be the collective is what you were saying.
1: Correct. A lot of the schools think this is chaos because a lot of revenue for college athletics is generated from donations. And now you have people saying, if I'm a booster and saying, well, Hey, I can go donate this to the athletic department and maybe only 50 cents of my dollar are going to go to, uh, the football program. And of that, maybe 20, Five cents on the dollar would be with what I agree with, and three cents on the dollar will go to the players. Instead, I can go give a hundred cents on the dollars to the players directly, and I think that's going to make an impact on the field. And so you're having boosters faced with the decision of do they donate to the athletic department or do they donate to uh, individual uh, collectives, which will then give to the players themselves. And so I think the, uh, a lot of these athletic departments want oversight of all of that stuff.
0: This is absolute craziness.
1: It's, 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 it's chaos. The whole, the whole model is chaos. I we've seen more change in the last three years in college sports than we had in the previous 30, I think. Um, And it sort of feels like we're only getting crazier from here. Like, I, I don't think this is going back in the, two. but i think we're no, we're moving you
0: can't. no no you can't yeah
1: we're moving in this direction and it's going to be interesting to see i, I think i i personally think the inevitability is at least football uh becomes employee employees of the school or employees of some entity that is licensed by the license, the name and, the the, uh, the nickname of the school. And they're actually just, em, uh, employees of that entity and they're playing professional, semi-professional football and they get some percentage of the revenue deal. Now the state laws are going to be really hard on that. If you go look at state by state, you're probably going to need some federal, uh, legislature passed to make that work because each state has its own employee rights, things associated with it and what you need to offer for 401k or whatever, unionization and all of this stuff. And so it's going to be an absolute nightmare to end up in that point. So I don't want to predict the timeline that we're going to be there, but I I think it's definitely going to happen.
0: But then as you mentioned before, you have like a salary cap for a college football team. Like, you know, in the NFL, obviously quarterbacks are, kind of slotted at a certain number, and then running backs are slotted at a certain number. But let's say the quarterback is a two-star versus the running back who's the five-star. And this just seems like it is it's all over the place
1: that that's where we're headed though and, and ultimately when you're an employee then you can collectively bargain right and obviously every time uh the collective bargaining agreements come up for nfl and nba like they come close to walking away and it ends up being a give and take on how much percentage of the revenue each side should get and they're always negotiating and we're always faced with the potential of a strike and Ultimately, if you become employees, then you can collectively bargain in that way. And then it'll just be, hey, if $150 million of revenue are generated by the University of Georgia this past year, we're going to give 30% of that to the football team and their players. And so that's $45 million. And therefore, there's going to be some GM at the University of Georgia that's deciding how does that $45 million get broken up? And they'll give contracts for a year, two years, three years, whatever it is, right? And so then are these kids going to classes or are they not? Like all no. of this stuff. Yes. Well, they aren't already. So why would they start now? But yes, especially right. at Georgia.
0: Right. This is, that, that was a nice little pot shot at Georgia. That was good. I got to um, take it while I can. Yeah. By uh, by uh an SEC rival. So wanted to switch gears. I mean, this, this stuff is crazy and it's just ever evolving. And it seems like no one's going to ever get a handle on it, and it's just going to constantly, constantly change and morph, and, and who knows where it's going to end up. But um, So you're also a Knicks season ticket holder. I am. So you know I'm a tortured Knicks fan. And so let, let me ask you this. Where are you at with the franchise right now?
1: I could not be happier with uh, the way the last – Uh, I mean, minus two years ago, uh, the, the path the team has been on Jalen Brunson has just been an absolute delight to watch the types of players they're bringing in home growing the, a lot of the talent bringing in guys that just play hard and remind me of the nineties, Knicks teams like Josh Hart, like Quentin Grimes, like Mitchell Robinson, you go down the list and there's just like hard nosed players that seem to care. Now, I appreciate the patience and the pick gathering and all of that stuff and waiting in the wings, uh, to strike the whole team basically, uh, is Randall the oldest guy, maybe at 28, 29. Um, everyone else, what's that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's one of them.
1: Yeah. And so the whole core of the team Brunson's now 26, I guess the whole core is sort of stacked between twenty. Two at the quickly uh, at the lower end up to I I think Mitch is probably 26 ish and then Randall uh, at 28, 29. So it feels like they built out a bunch of really good pieces and they got very lucky slash tampered their way into a superstar with Jalen Brunson. And so I think that it's, it's fantastic where they've gotten. And I've enjoyed two of the last three years so much because for the first time they're they were outplaying the talent that they had and actually playing in a cohesive way with, with players that were fun to watch sans Julius Randall uh, most nights, but I, they do need another step. Like they are not, they, they are not going to make it out of the second round with this current roster. Mm-hmm. And so what does that next pick piece look like? And I don't think it's a Paul George size piece. I don't think it's an OG and an OB size piece. I think it really needs to be a Joel Embiid or a Giannis or whoever it is. Like they really need a superstar. They have a top 20 guy in Jalen Brunson. They really need a top five guy. I think they've set themselves up in spite of James Dolan to to do that and I think Joel Embiid's the guy, but we need to see that actually come to fruition. We need Joel to ask out and say, I want to go to New York. I want to go with my former agent Leon Rose. And this is the time I'm going to do it. And so that's kind of what I'm waiting on is seeing them go from a fun, hardworking team to a real championship contender. And they're not they're not there and they won't be there without a major superstar.
0: So here's my concern. Here's my concern with the current state of the Knicks. And As somebody who's generally always negative because, you know, uh, history, it's, it's it's proven
1: true over the course of the last 20 years, by the way, Nixon, Tennessee, their, uh, football, their, their success has mirrored each other in a weird way. Late nineties, uh, was fantastic through the last 20 years was nothing. And now they're both on the rise again, which is pretty weird uh, to see both your biggest fandoms kind of follow each other in lockstep.
0: That. That's actually a pretty good uh, correlation. And, uh, you know, they, they do mirror each other. The passionate fan bases who, you know, sometimes get a little too high and too low about the state of the team. Um, I think they're just in a holding pattern right now. I think they're in a holding pattern and they're kind of surveying the landscape. But the fear is, is to make a move, right, of that magnitude given where their current assets are like you already saw it starting with Obi Toppin right Obi Toppin had a lot of fans uh you know within you know the Knicks fan base loved Obi Toppin cuz we saw the potential and the numbers were there when Randall wasn't playing but he was yep. just stuck behind Julius Randall like the reality was as you know that he was drafted as Randall insurance because the Marcus Morris Julius Randall era was abominable So they drafted Obi Toppin, who was the national player of the year, right? Randall has an out-of-body experience and it kind of blocks Toppin and the asset basically depreciates to two second round picks, right? Because Tibbs was indebted to Randall.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame to see uh, how that all played out. I get the offense wasn't really, especially with Randall, who's a, a, a big ball stopper, obviously out there. It, it, with him hogging that spot and how they run their offense, the pace that they run it at, it was just not a great fit for Obi, and he obviously put up numbers uh, when when he came into those games, but. He, he was never going to be a Tibbs guy. He was never going to be the defensive-minded uh, person that Josh Hart is or Mitchell Robinson is or whoever Quentin Grimes is, the people that like quickly, the people that like Tibbs really gravitates to. And so it was always a square peg round hole with uh, with Obi Toppin, which is a shame. But they're definitely, the Knicks are definitely in a holding pattern right now. I think that's a good thing, though. If, if Jalen Brunson's 26 years old, he's on probably the, the best contract in the NBA, like way Yes. Waiting for another year, or two years, like inevitably a star always asks out. And the Knicks have finally set the table to be a place that someone wants to go to and so that's where I think we're kind of just waiting and I hope they don't do a, uh, I mean Paul George changes your window, Paul's whatever, 33 years old and he's uh, injury prone and so that changes your window I think that um, going OG Ananobi, I like that more but that's still not getting you out of the second round, maybe no. the Eastern Conference Finals, like that's not a real move that's a move to do another move and so I, I, I really hope it's not buying cheap on someone like James Harden. It's really waiting and they've proven to be very patient and roll their picks forward and bide their time. And so we'll, we'll see who that star is. I really just think it's Joel Embiid and I I think it's going to come sooner rather than later, but it might be another year.
0: The only problem with that is, and I agree with a lot of what you just said, the irony of course, who's Tibbs guys is that Randall is ambivalent about defense Uh, And that's putting it kindly. But somehow he's above the fray again because he had an aberration shooting season in 2021 and Tom Thibodeau will always be indebted. But whatever. The problem is is where the young guys contract-wise are. Like, they're up for extensions. So these young, you know, less expensive, movable contracts become a lot less desirable when they become, you know, when they sign extensions. So if they're going to make a consolidation move, they have like a one to two year window in terms of when they can do it because of the way the contracts sort of, you know, way it plays out, which is why I was such a big proponent of them trading for Donovan Mitchell last year, because it's an all NBA caliber guy who at the time was 25. He's now 26. And, At a certain point they're going to have to cash in the chips or the chips expire
1: i agree with that and and i think you're looking at i mean emmanuel quickly is a perfect example this year where he comes off of uh really probably should have won sixth man of the year or was very very close to to winning that award and now, I don't know what his contract's going to look like, but as he rolls off his rookie deal, moving to 18, 20 million bucks a year, that's a very different asset than the person making three or four million bucks a year. And so you're right. There's going to need to be some consolidation of these assets. RJ Barrett's hanging out there. Quentin Grimes is hanging out there. I don't know exactly. The only people I feel with some confidence are going to be on the team going forward. I have 100% confidence it's Shailen Brunson. I have high confidence it's Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo, and if Yep. go beyond that i'm not really sure i i, I think quentin grimes will hang around i well, think julius
0: randall's gonna be around because they the bromance between him and tibbs is ultra strong and he's not going anywhere much to my chagrin because i i don't think the knicks can do anything with I, the tibbs randall yeah
1: in, i i um, don't know I, I I certainly I certainly hear you and he certainly seems to be part of the group that is uh is less touchable uh but I don't put him in the same esteem of the untouchable uh group or at least the very unlikely to go group. I think would I say RJ Barrett's much more likely to go than Julius Randle? I would. Do I think Julius Randle if the right thing came to be could be on his way out. I think it's, I think it's possible. Uh, he's on how Has many years know? left on his deal. Does he have two years left? Yeah,
0: I think so. Something like two that. or three
1: years left. Yeah. The problem is he's just not a winning basketball player uh, in the playoffs. He play, he was great. I mean, he finished third team all NBA last year. He was fantastic, but the ISO ball shot, making uh, only go to your left hand stuff wears out when it comes playoff time. And we saw it in spades in the second round, right? It's just, at some point, it's not a coincidence. If you have bad playoff series, uh, what happened against the Hawks, what happened in the second round against the Heat this year, like that's not a coincidence. Those are people actually keying in on your weaknesses and taking advantage of them. And so that's my big concern with Julius is he's just not a winning basketball player when it comes time to the playoffs. But we have, have Jalen Brunson, who seems to be that, and hopefully these pieces clean themselves up. I would be shocked if we don't. I mean, the big question here is, if, if the Knicks don't at least stay pat this year and probably make the second round of the playoffs, are we going to start hearing more murmurs about Tom Thibodeau's job? Are we going to start to hear more murmurs about Leon Rose? It'll be interesting to see how this stuff Plays out. Uh, I think they put the pieces together to run it back and probably push win 48, 49 games this year, push to make the second round of the playoffs. So I don't think that's going to play itself out, but we'll see. That's something to keep an eye on as well. Uh, James Dolan has been unusually patient with the men running the organization over the last couple of years, at some point you revert back to who you are. He's shown us who he is time after time. And at some point he's going to get impatient and want to pull the trigger for a superstar. And so hopefully that's on our terms and not on the terms uh, that, that he makes happen just because they win 45 games and bounce in the second round or first round next year.
0: Well, if you look around the league, right, the league has gotten better. Even the bottom of the East has gotten better. The top of the East is kind of in a holding pattern. We'll see what happens with Philly if that whole situation with Harden implodes, which is honestly probably the Knicks' best wish, if you're wishing for Joel Embiid. You know, Milwaukee kind of stayed the same. Boston will be more or less the same. But, you know, we expect Miami to get Damian Lillard at some point. They're going to be class of the East. Cleveland's going to get better. You know the Knicks are are marginally better, but it's harder to rack up wins in this league now because the bottom is is better than it has been in a while, at least more competitive, and there's a lot of talent. And I'm not sure, like even if the Knicks are better, that if they're a six seed or even in like the top of the play in, like is that like a failure for them? I, I'm not sure it is. It's just gonna be weird. The Knicks are in a very weird spot right now.
1: They're they're in this they're in this too good the good news is they have all their pieces. Uh I mean it would be a lot worse if you were the if you were a Mavericks fan right now and oh, you had yes. no I, question. And so so they have all their pieces and they can wait and find the right time to strike, but it needs to be in the next 18 to 24 months, right? And so you're right. They're in purgatory if they don't make a move. The Mavs are in pur- purgatory no matter what. They're in a terrible, terrible spot. But the the Knicks are in purgatory unless they, uh, but they, but they have an opportunity to find an upgrade and take that next step here in the next 18 months. They just need to make sure to use it.
0: It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. What Never the-
1: a dull moment with the New York Knickerbockers. here. Never
0: a dull moment with the New York Knicks. I mean, that, that's the one team in my life that really drives me over the top crazy.
1: You should become a Tennessee fan. You can have two. Now, I, I guess a question for you is, are you in the bucket of, of championship? Would you rather have one championship, the Knicks hang a banner for the first time in 50 years, and it's done by buying players that come in for a single season, and you do it the Nets way of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, and James Harden all come in, and that's the way it plays out. Or would you prefer, oh, but it's just one season, or a longer run, five, six seasons of constantly competitive Maybe you make the Eastern Conference uh, Finals a couple times. You make the NBA Championship once. It's basically the 90s all over again. You do it with homegrown talent that you really enjoy watching. Which of those two are you taking?
0: I-, I want the banner. It's the one thing I want. It's the one thing I want. Now, I have a certain hate list when it comes to NBA players. And luckily, like you know, guys like Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Uh, LeBron James are phasing themselves out uh, of the league. So my, my hateless, I will add Kevin Durant there because he spurned them a couple of years ago, which honestly was a blessing in disguise for the team. Um, I I want to, I want a championship parade in the worst way. It's the one thing I want to see. I don't care. Just banners fly forever. Like, You know, as much as, as a Yankee fan as I am and I'm frustrated about this year, I don't care because I've seen them win, right? The Giants could never win another game in my lifetime. And it's fine because I saw them win. The Knicks... Like, I just want to see them win. Like, I'll, I'll be in the fetal position crying if they ever win.
1: Oh, man. I mean, if you look, it, it is pretty sad uh, if you look up in the rafters of MSG, and it just looks like someone stopped printing them uh, of how abruptly it really stops after, uh, after whatever, 72, uh, and going down the line. So I agree with you. There is something of uh, – there is some level of enjoyment I derive from just – constantly uh, uh, just enjoying watching players play that you grew up watching. Uh, You saw them when they were young, now they're older. There's a cohesion to it. There's a style that you enjoy. Like I really, I just remember so fondly the '90s Knicks and that whole group and and everything they did. And if they had bought a championship in 2001 with a bunch of other players that just came in and left by night, I'm sure that single season I I would remember very fondly. But but being a fan is kind of in my mind, growing up with these players and seeing them develop and seeing the cohesion. And so I've had this argument with my friends, and I think I come down on the side of you of who gives a shit, just take the championship. But when it just feels so uh, transactional in the way that Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant tried to do with the Nets, it's what really makes me pause. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think I fall where you are.
0: Would I love my own version of Steph Curry, Dirk Nowitzki, or Giannis? Yeah, sure. Yes. One- thousand percent like that's the that's the ultimate but if say my man Giannis decided he wanted to come over and bring like somebody else with him and and build together sign me the hell up, uh, sign me up. I don't I care will,
1: Giannis I will make you baklava uh you can come over we will we will host you in New York uh if you come if you come here
0: the pipe dream. It's the absolute pipe dream. If Giannis, I don't even want to go there because I, I can't take it emotionally. But if if y- the day Giannis ever signed with the Knicks or was traded to the Knicks would be the best day in the franchise's history <laughs> from 1980 on. Not 1980 on.
1: Yeah, 1980, 1980 on, I'll, 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 I'll give you that. Yes, I think I think there's some older Knicks fans that might disagree with that. But 1980 on, I think that would be uh, 100% the best day that we would have.
0: <sighs> dare to dream, dare to dream. All right, Logan, this was awesome. We're going to have to run it back. Um, we'll, we'll get you during college football season. We'll check in on you and on your mind state with Tennessee. I definitely appreciate uh, you coming on, spend some time and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks so much again. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to first time guest and now recurring guest, Logan Bartlett for coming on, talking a lot about the landscape of college sports, talking about the Knicks. You know, I could talk about the Knicks forever. Really good stuff from him. Excited to have him back on. We'll check his pulse and his blood pressure during the Tennessee season this season. That's episode two nineteen. For the love of the game, take us out, biggie. I'm going to make you love me, baby, baby, baby.